Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Black History in Sports. I'm Kevin Pulley, and today we will celebrate the life of Lou Brock, Lewis Clark Brock, the Baseball Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, of course, with the St. Louis Cardinals, and beginning his career with the Chicago Cubs. Lou Brock passed away on September the 6th, 2020 of this year. And we wanted to talk about Lou and just his great play as a baseball player and even greater, if you can believe that, as a man, a human being in his humanity and community work that he has, that he did throughout uh, his life here. Um, Lewis Clark Brock, uh, born 1939 in the town of El Dorado, Arkansas. He was the seventh of nine children. The family moved to Louisiana uh, at the age of two. When he was two years old, they moved to uh, Louisiana. And, of course, he grew up there and uh, began his path to baseball, to Major League Baseball. Uh, Important to say that he received a scholarship to Southern University, of course, in Baton Rouge, received that uh, uh, scholarship as a result of his academics. And uh, Lou actually struggled in the early days there, his first semester, and was able to get a scholarship in baseball. Um, and from there, the rest, as you know, as they say, uh, would be history. He did struggle uh, at the base with the baseball team in those early years, the three seasons he was there, um, mainly because he hadn't developed yet as a hitter and certainly not as a base stealer, but he had that great, great speed. And when you talk about Lou Brock, oh my goodness, I have to personally confess that this was my man. This was my guy growing up. I wanted to be like Lou Brock. Growing up in St. Louis on the north side, and we had these alleys. If you ever come to St. Louis, it's kind of like that area behind the the homes. If you don't, if you didn't grow up around an alley, but that's where some of the the best ball playing took place. <laughs> in my time in the '70s, was uh, in the alleys of of the city of St. Louis. Uh, you used to hear people talk about the sand lots and the playgrounds. Well, we had alleys. And we would play games called cork. We played softball. And we didn't play with a cork ball. We played with a tennis ball. And everybody in my neighborhood on the north side in the 70s, uh, I'm talking probably after 71, 72, we wanted to be Lou Brock. Uh, my problem with being Lou Brock is that he was left-handed. And me being right-handed, uh, couldn't switch it. So trying to bat from the left side was always uh Difficult, but you you went through all his mannerisms at the plate. You wanted to be Lou Brock because he was the speedster that the Cardinals had that was fast as lightning. He could hit, and man, could he steal bases. The thing about me growing up in the 70s was that I really, as a kid, missed all those great World Series teams that he was part of going back to the 60s, and he would win uh, two world championships in 64 and 67, three pennants. Uh, lost in a game seven in 1968 with the uh, against the Detroit Tigers, the Cardinals did when they were actually up in that series three games to one and lost three in a row to to lose that that series. But Brock was tremendous in that series. 
where he batted uh, over 400 and had 13 hits in a losing cause. But you talk about somebody stepping up in in big times. I mean, you look back at Lou Brock's statics, his statistics, uh, the stats there in in three World Series, uh, all of them going to seven games in 64, 67, and 68. Seven games, 21 games, I should say. He batted 393. Incredible World Series records, and that's still a record for those who played at least 20 games in the in the uh, World Series with that batting average, and and what he was able to do is to, uh, just just tremendous. Um, but the Cardinals got Lou Brock in what many might have say was one of the most uh, the worst lopsided trade ever. The Cardinals uh, picked up Lou Brock in 1964 from their uh, of course their rivals in the National League, the Chicago Cubs. He was a young outfielder who had really struggled uh, in Chicago in three seasons. Uh, A young man they thought had some potential but just hadn't showed it. Uh, Had flashes of power for hitting home runs at times, but really was batting in the 200s. And they traded him for a pitcher, Ernie Brolio, who had won 18 games for the Cardinals the previous year in, in 1963. So if you were a Cub fan, you're thinking, oh, wow, we unload we this young uh, guy who really hasn't achieved what we thought he would. And we're going to get a, a pitcher who you know had had quite a, a record just a year ago. So things turned around quickly, though, for the Cardinals in 1964. He batted over 300 after that trade in the summer and would lead the Cardinals right into the 64 World Series, would be a tremendous uh, spark for that team. And, of course, they beat the Yankees in in seven games. So uh, it all gets started for Lou right there. And then by the time it rolls back around three years later to 1967, he was on a roll. I mean, he had a uh, outstanding season in 1967 uh, uh, among the leaders in hits and stolen bases. Uh, just tremendous uh, year for him, stealing over 65 bases that that season. Uh, went on in 67 to lead the Cardinals, scored eight runs in the World Series uh, and batted uh, 400, batted four 14 in that series, if you can believe it, in the World Series. Not some bad numbers, huh? And remember, during this time in the World Series, it, you, you basically, there were no playoffs. Uh, you win the pennant, you were going to the series, National League versus the American League. That was Lou Brock. And so a tremendous 67. So think about it. They get this rookie and in 64, by the end of 1967, they won two World Series with him in three years. So now the Cubs realize what has happened here. And uh, uh, interesting, too, about uh, Lou Brock uh, is that uh, uh, he was signed to the Cubs by the first African-American scout uh, in, in uh, uh, Major League Baseball, Buck O'Neill, who, of course, you know uh, as the great Negro League uh, player, coach, manager, um, Buck O'Neill, Hall of Famer, should be in the um, MLB Hall of Fame. I'm waiting on that. It should have happened years ago. But he signs Lou Brock. And so, you know, Buck certainly knows talent. And many will tell you that he felt like Brock just wasn't going to get his opportunity in Chicago and help sign off on the deal that sent him to St. Louis uh, with the Cardinals. 
So Brock in the 60s, three pennants, two world championships. What can you say? And the spark of the Cardinals, the, the leadoff man that made everything happen. And once he got on bases, oh, my goodness, he just drove the pitchers wild, drove them crazy because they knew they couldn't keep him close. And then in the 70s, uh, it continues. Brock playing uh, 16 seasons uh, with the Cardinals, but he comes on in the 70s, and now all the records uh, begin to fall. And the first one was in 1974 when Lou Brock would break Mari Wills. And again, the, at that time, these records were all in place. The uh, stolen base king today, uh, Ricky Henderson, who, of course, would go on to surpass uh, Lou Brock's record in the in the 80s. But at that time, Mari Wills had set the major league record for stolen bases in the season, which was at 104. And so Lou Brock would break that record in 1974 when he would steal 118 bases. And again, as a kid growing up in St. Louis, listening to Jack Buck on uh, Clear Channel KMOX, the station was in uh, more than 45 states at that time and still today. I can remember as a kid listening on the radio, we didn't have all the games on on TV like we do today, of course. But I remember hearing that call of Jack Buck at the mic uh, against the Phillies when he was still base number 105 and hearing him saying, Ruthven checks. Brock takes his lead. He's going. The pitch is high. He's there. You know, I remember hearing that. And as a kid, that was just tremendous to hear uh, Lou Brock break that record and become the all-time single-season uh, stolen base leader. And again, like I said, he would pack on that and, and would steal 118 bases that season in 1974. And actually, later on, I would have the pleasure as a kid to meet the future Hall of Famer in 1974. He was actually uh, had a signing because he was uh, – he was marketing some new Lou Brock 118 shoes to celebrate him selling the 118th base. And I remember going to a department store with my aunt and my cousins and and just meeting him. And he didn't say a lot to me, but it was just the kindness you always hear people talk about with Lou Brock, the kindness. And he said to me simply, hi, guy, uh, and signed my 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 blue book and uh that stood out for me for a long time. Of course, later on in life, a couple of times, I would actually get to meet him personally, talk to him, and it was tremendous. And and you know, and watching and observing uh, the memorial service, funeral for for Lou Brock, that's all you constantly heard was, uh, first of all, the fans in St. Louis loved Lou Brock. The uh, continued Lou Lou Lou. That was it. You know, you, I mean, out in left field and throughout the ballpark when he would steal bases, when he would get a hit, you always heard that chant, Lou, Lou, Lou. And, and, um, so meeting him was, was, was really special for me as a kid. And again, like I said, this was the guy I, I wanted to be. I wanted to be, you know, it was, it was, it was Lou Brock. And, and I started thinking, you know, in, in your head, you always say, okay, who is the, who is the, uh, you put together your all team, time teams. And during this time, you know, late 60s into the 70s, you start thinking about left fielders because that's where Lou Brock played. And names like Yaskrimski, uh, names like that come up. 
even Pete Rose, who played some left field for Cincinnati then, uh, Willie Stargell uh, in left field with the Pirates. And, you know, I'm a National League kid, so I'm, I'm watching all this thing. But think about the names that I'm, that I'm talking about here. Yaskrimski, Willie Stargell, Pete Rose. These guys are all Hall of Famers. <laughs> but but wait a minute, because um, it was at the tail end of uh, Willie McCovey's career. You also had Billy Williams in, in Chicago with the Cubs. But again, these are all Hall of Famers. And, I, and so I said, wait a minute, Lou Brock is, is the man over these guys. People often would criticize his throwing arm. But I looked at Lou Brock as when you had that kind of speed, you know, you didn't have to make really a lot of long throws because he could – he could track everything down. And so, uh, yeah, for me, it was Lou Brock out in the outfit. That was my left fielder. It just happened. I'm a kid from St. Louis, and he played in St. Louis. But, hey, the talent, everybody else saw that talent because, of course, uh, you would, you would uh, you know, he was a first ballot Hall of Famer in 1985. So I think that kind of speaks for itself. And, uh you know, after the defeat of Maury Wills in 1977, he would come back um, just two. Um, I'm sorry, Maury Wills was 1974. Get my my dates mixed up here. 74, but three years later in in 1977, now it was time to steal the all-time stolen base record over someone who played at the turn of the century. And we're talking about Ty Cobb, who had a career of 800 and 92 stolen bases. Well, Lou was going to break that one, and he did it August 29, 1977, in San Diego. Uh, did it against the Padres, of course, and uh, once again, he uh, captured the sports world and, 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 uh, and, and did that feat. And I, again, I could hear the call of Jack, of Jack Buck. Uh, they had a pitcher in San Diego by the name of Friesleben. Uh The shortstop was uh, Bill Allman. Um, and, uh, and Dave Roberts, the catcher. <laughs> and so Brock, um, Brock's on base, <laughs> takes his lead. Friesleben checks. The pitcher's a strike to throw. It's too late. And he's done it. <laughs> you know, that that's it. Lou Brock uh, ceiling 893. And, uh, you know, going back for a minute, too, I wanted to say this about Lou Brock. This is, just tells you about the class of, uh, of Lou Brock. Um, when he stole, going back to 74, when he stole base number 105, so obviously they're going to stop the game. They celebrate. All the players are on the field. Media's there taking pictures. Uh, they bring out the microphone. They let them speak. Uh, remember a lot different game today where, you know, you didn't see it all over the world. You know, we would have to catch highlights on the news and those kind of things because we were listening on the radio. But one of the things that was so impressive about Lou Brock is he calls out uh, the batter, the second the second place hitter in the lineup, a second baseman by the name of Ted Sizemore. So Lou has him to come out. He says, come on out here, Size." He brings out Ted Sizemore because he wanted to credit Ted Sizemore for batting behind him all that season while he would go on to steal these 118 bases. But at this 105 base, the, the record breaker, he wants Sizemore to come out here because he wants to give him credit. So he says, come on, Size," 
And he gives him credit and says, you know, I couldn't have done what I did without him being a, a just a disciplined, steady hitter, taking pitches, giving me the opportunity to steal the base. So even with a tremendous feat, a tremendous honor like that, he's giving Ted Sides more credit. So I always thought that just speaks to his class, the class of Lou Brock crediting him uh, uh, to help him and his teammates uh, to achieve that base. And then so fast forward to, to 77, when he steals number 893, they stopped the game. Padres had an excellent pitcher uh, by the name of Randy Jones who came out to honor Lou, give him the base, and, and Lou gets to speak. And he says to Randy, I did it my way. You know, like the song Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. And he truly did. Uh, uh, climbing up the ladders, coming from uh, some disadvantaged situations uh, in Arkansas, through Louisiana, through Southern, through difficult times in Chicago, to stealing this base, becoming the, at that time the stolen base king and, and all of baseball. Um, so, again, just, just when you think of that career, my gosh, uh, eight, 893 stolen bases. And the records don't stop for him right there because he continues on. And remember, again, he's been on this great championship team with people like Bob Gibson and Kurt Flood that were all part of those 60 teams with him, Bill White, uh, uh, the Javiers. The, the, you know, he, he was playing with all these guys, Roger Maris, Mike Shannon. He was playing with all these players, the Tim McCarvers. Um, so... He gets down to uh, he gets down to 1979, and he's coming off a very tough 1978 where he bats roughly around 230. And a lot of people, because Lou is at uh, age 39, they're saying, you know, he's finished. Uh, you know, he needs he needs to retire. Uh, he had a, a really really difficult season, and that's always been kind of an interesting thing, especially in baseball. You, at the time, it's like if a guy has a, a an off season. By his standards, you want to say that he's finished. Well, Lou certainly proved the next year, his final year in 1979, by first of all, he batted over 300, won the Comeback of the Year Player Award, and he got his 3,000th hit. Got his 3,000th hit off, you would know it, the Cubs, Dennis Lamp, on a line drive back to the pitcher. He picked up hit number 3,000. So he picked up that. And uh, again, stepped into the, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, immortal uh, 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 groupings of players with 3,000 hits. And pretty much even today, when you get 3,000 hits, you're all but sure to a place in Cooperstown in the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. But Lou Brock closes it out and, and wraps up that 79 season, went out in, in high fashion as he did throughout his career. Uh, with that 3,000th uh, hit. And the, the great part about after that is in St. Louis here, we began to really see, of course, he always did it, but all the community work that Lou Brock was involved in, from having his uh, Boys and Girls Club, uh, participating with you, visiting sick children in the hospital, helping kids with scholarships, just always being a Hall of Famer and right there with the fans, sit down and talk with anybody. Um, and, and, and we begin to see all this work. We really see it. You know, when they're playing, a lot of times we, we just didn't see it. I remember reading an article where people at the hospitals during the time when Brock uh, uh, 
played. You know, players often during their off time, off days in the daytime and mornings, they go to visit children that, that are in the hospital. And these kids might be battling cancers and other diseases. And they never, they didn't never have to call Lou Brock about was he coming? He was, he was there. That was just what he did. That was uh, who he was. And uh, so, uh, again, speaking to him, uh, speaking about him, uh, tremendous. Uh, big honor for me came in 1996. 96, I got a chance to uh, uh, meet Lou Brock, uh, really talk to him uh, because we had Juneteenth. And Juneteenth is really taking on uh, a great amount of attention in this uh, year, of course, of 2020 with all that has happened with the 2020 spring and summer and and George Floyd's death and just an awakening in America. But Lou Brock was at the Juneteenth back during this time when it was being held in little small parks in St. Louis, celebrating, playing in a softball game with the with the fans. And again, making himself available to all every little boy and girl and people right in the community. Uh, this is a... Uh, a historic neighborhood in St. Louis known as the Veal neighborhood and Lou making himself available to everybody right there in front of historic Sumner High School which is the oldest black high school west of the Mississippi uh, still open today still educating students in the city of St. Louis he was right right there doing that but even going back there great story about Lou Brock was how in the 1960s, we're probably talking around 1966, he's involved, and again, with an, another event right in the community. Um, this is basically African-American children in, in St. Louis who were playing Little League Baseball, and they had an all-star game, and they invited uh, Lou Brock, and he showed up, Lou Brock, and he brought a teammate by the name of Bobby Tolan, and they were honorary managers of the teams of the teams playing baseball right in North St. Louis in the community. And Lou wore his Cardinal uniform, and Bobby Tolan uh, wore his as well. Lou had on the, the, the gray or bluish gray, I should say, road uniform. Bobby Tolan in the white, this story was told to me by my uncle, who was one of the coaches with the teams. But he was also just impressed by uh, about Lou and again, how he just made himself always available to the community to uh, uh, participate, to be there, and supporting people. And that's why he was uh, so beloved, so so loved. I want to say was loved, is still loved um, right here in, in St. Louis. And the big moment for me personally came in 1998 when I had the opportunity to personally meet and talk with Lou Brock was actually the uh, St. Louis Cardinals' first year at their present spring training home in Jupiter, Florida. They had opened up the, the new ballpark, had began training, and because of me working in radio, had an opportunity to go there uh, and, and see the new facility. And and just so happened that Lou Brock was there as an instructional coach. Of course, uh, working with the players on base running, base stealing, and, and he was there, got a chance to talk with him, take a picture with him. I was in awe because, like I said, this was this was my childhood hero on the baseball field, uh, Lou Brock. And I was there uh, talking to him, getting to hear him 
talk baseball. It was uh, it was a pretty great moment. It was just uh, something that was really special for me, and I know I will always uh, treasure that. And once again, I'm I'm you know I'm nobody, just a, a radio guy on a trip, and he you know he takes time out with me, talks to me, and uh, that's that's just uh, the man. That's just Lou Brock making everybody uh, feel welcome, making him, making you feel like, you know, you he's like you. And, uh, you know, you hear all these former players who play with him, that, that's, what they, that's what they speak about. And uh, his family, his children, his wife, a uh, family person, a Christian man, uh, that, that's what you hear about him. And uh, it was just, uh, uh, just, a, just a, a, a pleasure, just an honor uh, to be that, uh, and, uh, um, I felt so compelled because of the, just the impact he had on me growing up as a, as a kid that I wanted to, uh, uh, his family, his wife, Jackie, and his family made it, uh, made it, uh, they had a, a visitation for him in the community and welcomed, uh, the fans to, to, to pay their respects, and I certainly appreciated, uh, the family, and as we certainly extend condolences thoughts and prayers to the family but uh that was uh something for me to just to be able to 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 go that that to go to the ceremony because they made it available and of course uh, uh they had all the safety precautions in place as we're currently uh living through a pandemic and, and COVID-19 but as we wrap things up just to give a final note on on Lou Brock and again uh, as you can see I can I could talk about Lou Brock as we do it here on uh, Black History in Sports, because uh, he truly is a uh, black history icon for all histories, but uh, I could certainly speak on it because uh, just listening to hear uh, players, former players and current players with the St. Louis Cardinals talk about how he was with them. Uh, their pitcher, Adam Wainwright, who I know will soon be a Cardinal Hall of Famer himself, talked about the first time him meeting Lou Brock, Lou Brock, asking him to, to sign a baseball. And Adam is a young pitcher. He's thinking, wait a minute, you, you're a Hall of Famer asking me to sign a ball for you? <laughs> and and, and uh, Adam pointed out that Lou told him, well, hey, you, you, you believe me, you're going to do great things here. And he wanted Adam Wainwright's autograph. So that just tells you about Lou Brock. Albert Pujols, who we know is headed to uh, Cooperstown in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Albert speaking about just the impact and watching Lou and in his life that he have on him as a man and a family man and, and talking to him about baseball, uh, taking him under his wing. Uh, Albert Pujols, uh, uh, when he gave condolences, talked about that situation. Keith Hernandez, who uh, reading about him in the local paper, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, talked about uh, the emotion that... Uh, he said he couldn't have made it to have the success he had had it not been for Lou Brocking helping him uh, in his uh, rookie season, you know, and just being a veteran who could that he could talk to and could also push him to, you know, to to do what he needed to do to be successful as as a big leaguer. Of course, Tim McCarver and uh, saying that, uh, you know, he worked with play with two of the toughest players ever in Bob Gibson and Lou Brock. Uh Mike Shannon talking about uh, just how hard he played. Uh, Red Shanings, the late Red Shanings, who uh, Lou played for, 
as, as his manager talking about never seeing him in the training room and, and being able to stay injury free. Uh, Mike Shannon talking about him as a great teammate. Uh, Bob Gibson, the, the ultimate competitor, right? Who says, yeah, you know, I was part of two championships, three pennants, and probably without Lou Brock, none of that happens, you know? Um, so just to speak to him and, and the impact and, uh, we're still all affected. But Ted Simmons, talking about just, just him as a teammate. You know, 10 years Ted Simmons played with Lou Brock. And um, he talked about just, just that impact that he had on him as a, as a teammate. And, you know, it, it, it just goes without saying. And for you hip-hop fans, how about a tribe called Quest and uh, Q-Tip and, and that famous line, you know, if knowledge is the key, then show me the lock. I got the scrawny legs like Lou Brock. I'm fast and I'm agile. <laughs> there you go. Uh, um, and that was their hit back in 1991. A big hip-hop hit called Check the Rhyme, y'all. And going back to that, they wanted to pay a homage to Lou Brock and the impact he made. So they were aware of the hip-hop world, aware of uh, Lou Brock. So, again, I just want to say thank you, Lou, for the memories. Rest in peace. And thank you to his family. And thank you for sharing Lou Brock with us. And uh, what a tremendous man and tremendous baseball player. I'm Kevin Pulley, and this is Black History in Sports. <laughs>